Amen. Here we go again. Chapter 8, Hebrews. Today we're going to consider verses 1 through 7. Uh, as the text becomes more and more beautiful, um, going from promise to new covenant, promises, sacraments, new covenant. Uh, one of the beautiful things about Hebrews is it uh, wraps us up tight in our covenant relationship with God that he initiated, <clears throat> that he perpetuates, that he will bring to conclusion. So it's it's wonderful to see this in the text. It's wonderful to know it in our walk with Christ in re, from redeemed hearts and renewing minds. So much to celebrate today as we continue forward into chapter 8 into the priesthood of our Lord Jesus and uh, the covenant <clears throat> that is established in his finished work. So let's... Read the text. I'll read it to you. Uh, we'll pray and and start unpacking this uh, this great chapter. Hebrews eight one through seven. Again, hear the word of God. Now, the point in which we are in what we are saying is this: We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. Not or in the in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent. He was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. <clears throat> For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been an occasion to look for a second. Amen. <clears throat> May God that bless this reading of his, his word to our hearts, minds, and lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for its truth, its light, its majesty. Lord, encourage us with it. Continue to change us and conform us to the image of Christ with it, to sanctify us, to prepare us for eternity. Lord, thank you. Uh, may its glory and its joy be ours today as we unpack it together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just a, a quick flashback. Chapter 6 was about God's promises to his people through Abraham to the church and the issue of promise. Uh, chapter 7 was uh, Christ's priesthood uh, unfolded for us through the, uh, the type of Melchizedek and that Christ's priesthood is eternal and unending <clears throat> and separate from and distinct from Levi and Aaron's ministry, um, and hence better. Chapter 8, uh, we begin to talk in covenant terms. Uh, the new covenant is presented here in chapter 8, and it pre presents the foundation and the, the, the better promises of the new covenant. We're going to talk about that. 
Uh, before we can really talk about the new covenant, it's 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 important to talk about the old covenant uh, from the beginning. As we start with the covenant of works, remember when Adam and Eve were created, they were set in the garden and they were told they were given certain uh, distinct prohibitions. Uh, do not go near the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of its fruit. Uh, on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, <clears throat> They were uh, sinless at that point. They were innocent. They could have sinned. Uh, they might not have sinned. So there was this this prohibition, not prohibition, but um, uh, um, they were in a period of testing and to see what they would do. And that was a covenant of works. Would Adam and Eve obey? And continue to live uh, without the penalty of death, or would they disobey and eventually um, be set to die because of their sin uh, before the Lord? So there were that those two aspects of the covenant of works. Well, that was the first one. The second aspect, of the covenant of works, is it didn't end with Adam and Eve's failure. Someone was going to have to keep of the law perfectly and not sin against God. So whereas Adam and Eve failed and could not do better. They had failed the test, and through them, we are all sinners. He's the first Adam through which we we inherit our sin and our sin nature before God. Our Lord Jesus <clears throat> was sent to keep the covenant of works and to keep God's law perfectly and undo the penalty that we had brought upon ourselves in Adam. Uh, so when... Our covenant of works died or failed in Adam and Eve. God began the covenant of grace with Adam and Eve. Um, God committed at that point and promised that a redeemer would come to crush the head of the serpent, and as he did so, his heel would be injured. He would suffer um, you know, the, the loss of life on the cross, and yet he would be wounded, but yet triumph over our guilt and sin. So the covenant of grace uh, carried through for God's people in the redeemed line through the ancient uh, sacrifices of Israel. God gave them something to bring and to offer in worship to remit their sins, at least in anticipation of the Lord Jesus, who would, in his obedience, he would uh, actually pay the debt of our sin and death. So the covenant of grace comes in two parts too, the rituals of the Old Testament and then in the person of Christ and his finished work in the Gospels. So a beautiful overall picture of redemptive history. But this is where in chapter 8 our author begins to um, present to us uh, God's new covenant with us in Christ that replaces the old covenant God made with his people through the Levitical law and the ritual sacrifices of the Old Testament, which were to end as they were temporal. So think covenant relationship and the idea of covenant here in chapter 8 and then 9 and 10. Okay, we're going to divide our text today into three sections. Um, verses 1 and 2, we're going to look at... Um, the covenant foundation being in a heavenly tabernacle, not an earthly tabernacle. Secondly, in verses 3 and 4, a perfect sacrifice. Uh, Christ is 
his own sacrifice. He, he is the priest and the sacrifice. And he is the perfect sacrifice needed by a sinful church for justification before the Father. And finally, <clears throat> the covenant established in Christ in the new covenant is eternal. It's not temporal. It's not ending. But eternal from the past to the future. And we'll talk about that. So, let's go back chapter uh, verses 1 and 2, a heavenly tabernacle. Our author again says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now remember last week, we had a six-point sermon, uh, which was basically the six characteristics of Christ's priesthood. Now again, here in chapter 8, we're starting to talk about the covenant, the new covenant. Now, Christ is such a high priest who is, as if you remember last week, perfect, separate, powerful, guaranteed, eternal, and transcendent. We have that priest. We have, as our high priest now, in the heavenly holy of holies, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So not only is he a priest who is God's own son, interceding for us, standing in the gap between us and God the Father, he's also king. He's from the line of Judah. He inherited David's throne. He is the king priest, the perfect, eternal son of God, king priest of the church. And he does his ministry, carries his ministry out, verse 2, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So there is a heavenly holy of holies, in a sense a heavenly tabernacle. Remember now, the Old Covenant was man-made, <clears throat> or at least the parts of the, the covenant. God, God made that covenant with Israel. But it was administered by man, and specifically the Levites, the descendants of Levi. And uh, so it was man-oriented, man-administered. It was a, a covenant administered by men, Levites. Um, it was by nature and design insufficient and ultimately um, unable to justify the church before God. He accepted the sacrifices of ancient Israel as they brought them in faith, but only as it anticipated the finished work of Christ. So, again, Old Covenant citizens in ancient Israelites bringing their sacrifices in faith were justified in Christ, but not not by the animal they brought or by the particular offering they brought, but in their faith in God as it was applied to the finished work of Christ to be. The new covenant, uh, as compared to the old covenant here and, and the tabernacle, the new covenant is divine. Uh, we have an eternal priest, Jesus, the Son of God. His priesthood is also eternal and perfect. Uh, and we... We look for that heavenly holy of holies that has been established in heaven, eternal and incorruptible. And Jesus is our perfect king priest before God the Father. So he still and perpetually has that uh, ministry, that role of uh, interceding God's will and word to man, to the church, and he intercedes our prayers, and our offerings to God. So from God to us and from us to God, Jesus intercedes in that heavenly tabernacle in heaven. 
And we're going to get to that here in our next point a little bit more specifically of, of uh, our, our author in, in chapter 10. We'll start to, uh, there's a passage there we'll look at where he uh, defines that and describes it. But we, we have the benefit in the church today of the finished work of Christ in a heavenly tabernacle and not an earthly one. And remember, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, right? So, in effect, temples still exist in us, our hearts. But there is this heavenly tent and tabernacle that, that God the Father and Jesus inhabit. Uh, that holy place where we can come at any time. Again, we'll get to that. But it comes under the next point, which is a perfect sacrifice. <clears throat> Verse 3, every... High priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it's necessary for this priest, who is Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Okay, Jesus brings a perfect sacrifice. The important phrase here, <coughs> excuse me, is the end of verse 3. It's necessary for this priest, being Christ, also, like the Levitical priest, to have something to bring. He brings something before God as a priest. Um, again, in the Old Covenant, uh, priests, the high priest would, would offer blood, burnt, poured, and grain offerings outside of himself over and over again. Uh, these were animal sacrifices, grain, harvest sacrifices that would be brought to the Lord and either poured out, burned, killed, and, or the blood taken and administered, but it would happen over and over again, and it wasn't part of the priest. He, he would bring things outside of himself in the Old Covenant because he himself was a sinner and had to take care of his own sin as well. In the New Covenant, you have Christ, our priest, Son of God, offering himself as a sacrifice once and for all, once for all times, and it's a beautiful thing to see. This is a priest who is perfect, who is a son of God, who only needs to sacrifice himself once. But notice it's himself that he brings to the sacrifice. Um, turn with me to chapter 10. I'm going to read from verses 11 to 22. And this is important stuff. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, a few page north of us here. Uh, at verse 11. And hear what our writer writes here. This is important. He writes, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be, be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declared the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, this is verse 19. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places in heaven by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. So you see, Christ goes uh, forward one time as a son of God. He's the priest that brings his sacrifice. He brings something, and he has something to offer, but it is himself. And he lays down his life for his people, for the church. And he's a son of God. He's perfect. He's a perfect king priest. And his sacrifice is perfect. So it only takes one time to justify the elect, to justify the body of Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. So what does a non-Levitical priest bring? Well, he brings himself as a son of God. Verse 4 basically encapsulates that. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, not according to the oath. Remember, he's, he's from the tribe of Judah. So his priesthood is by oath after the, the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Levi and Aaron, which was imperfect, insufficient, and temporal in nature. He wouldn't have been a priest at all in ancient Israel because priests only came from Levi by the law. Jesus would come as a priest from another tribe, <clears throat> a kingly tribe, uh, with a perfect priesthood, as a perfect priest. So, as the covenant, the new covenant here is established and introduced officially, we see that it, it comes uh, from a heavenly tabernacle. <coughs> it's established in heaven, in a heavenly tabernacle, and it comes with a perfect sacrifice, the very person of Christ himself. Finally, an eternal covenant, uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. The priests of old, they serve or minister a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to build or erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises." For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Okay, so the point of this, this, these verses, and this is where covenant is introduced for the second time, or the word covenant mentioned this only for the second time. In Hebrews, there in verse 6, it's an eternal covenant. Remember that the emphasis in chapter 8 is, is away from God's promises, and from the priesthood of Christ to the new covenant that God makes with his people through the finished work of Christ. So here's where it's, it's introduced and established here in chapter 8. Uh, again, the covenant of grace that we talked about earlier at the beginning is based on the finished work of Christ ahead of time, from the beginning, from eternity past. So the covenant that redeems the church, that justifies the church from uh, the beginning of time to the end of time is that covenant uh, established in the person and work finished and completed in Christ. 
the ministers of old, the, the, the uh, priests of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron and on down, they served, they ministered to God's people as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Now that means, among other things, that they were forerunners to a more perfect covenant and which made their covenant temporal. It wouldn't last forever. It was insufficient ultimately to bring any justification to anybody. God justified them on the basis of their ritual through faith based on his son's work that was to come. So it was temporal. It was uh, temporary. It was a copy. It was a shadow of things to come, of the heavenly things. Moses was about to erect the tent. Uh, God instructed him, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Now, if you go to Exodus, starting about for chapter 25 and read through chapter 30, Moses is on Mount Sinai this entire time getting from the Lord instructions about how to make everything that they would use in their worship, in their ritual worship from that point on until Christ. The tabernacle and every part of it, tables, Incense tables, uh, menorahs, lampstands, everything, how to make them, uh, what they should look like, uh, the tabernacle itself, the tents, the pegs, the, the poles, uh, the curtains. Everything was uh, according to very specified and uh, exacting uh, detail that God himself gave Moses on the mountain. You make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Um, the, pad, the word pattern here in the Greek is a word that means example or type, something built to imitate something else. So <clears throat> everything in the Old Covenant ritual worship system was something built to imitate something to come. And it was a pattern that the heavenly holy of holies would be patterned after, you know, tabernacle, separations, uh, blood sprinkled, um, uh, the throne of God, uh, most of it's still there, only better, obviously. It's after the finished work of Christ. It's spiritual. It's in the heavens. And um, this actually is a quote here in verse 5 from Exodus 25, verse 40, where God said to Moses, make everything according to the pattern, the example, the type that was shown to you on the mountain. So you got all those details there. And everything that came from Sinai and built there, uh, in the shadow of Sinai, was used in the ritual worship of Israel for generations uh, to come, up to the, the coming of our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> but we enjoy an eternal covenant, not one that was temporal through Levi. This one's eternal through Christ. Verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. So Christ has come to possess a ministry that is more excellent than Levi's ministry, than Moses' ministry, than Aaron's ministry. <clears throat> it's different, remember? It's distinct, perfect, separate, powerful, eternal, transcendent. And so in every way, it's more excellent than the old covenant, the old ritual system. Um, as the covenant he mediates is better. Now remember again, <clears throat> um, 
The word covenant was not mentioned in the first six chapters that we've studied in Hebrews. It's first mentioned in the 22nd verse of chapter 7, where our author comes to a, a conclusion of thought, saying this makes Jesus <coughs> excuse me, the guarantor of a better covenant. And this is where he starts to, uh, to present the idea of covenant as, as building upon priesthoods and then God's promises. So it's, it's secondly mentioned here in 8 verse 6. But now we're going to see the covenant and the, the idea of covenant, the word covenant, mentioned over and over and over again. The rest of chapter 8, all through chapter 9, and all through chapter 10. So that really is a theme of our author's writing from here on out. The covenant of grace, the covenant that God has made with his people based upon the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, now, I just want to look at this word covenant here. Um, I think by now we're, we're all pretty familiar with the idea of a covenant, the word covenant. But just to remember that the, the first idea of, of covenant is an Old Testament idea of God's first covenant with um, you know, uh, the Old Testament saints from Adam and Eve down through uh, Noah to um, Abraham and down to Moses and beyond. <clears throat> um, the word here in, the, in, the, in Greek and, and then translated into the English uh, means to come together. It's kind of a pact, an agreement between two parties. But the Hebrew concept of a covenant, if you go back to the old ritual system of, of Israel and God's first covenants with his people, particularly uh, at Sinai, uh, in the Hebrew mind, the, the, word, the, the word covenant in the Hebrew is to cut or divide. Uh, we often talk in theological circles of Israel cutting covenants in the old covenant. It was a bloodletting. It was uh, it was cutting and dividing, and making your point and your promises in a covenant by way of blood. So, in that sense, Old Testament covenant, uh, the idea, the the concept of an Old Testament covenant was a bloodletting, and it was sacrificial in nature, and um. It pointed to Christ. It was it was a type of Christ. You brought a lamb or a heifer to be sacrificed. The lamb's blood was used. The, the heifer was um, um, relieved of its blood and its life, and it was either burnt entirely or it was killed and cut up for uh, meat for the priest and partly for the sacrificer. But it all was... Sacrifice. It was a bloodletting. It was covenant renewal in the Old Testament style. And that carries through to Christ because he would be the lamb that was slain and its blood taken and sprinkled. But you see, that happens now in a heavenly holy of holies where Christ goes in and his blood is brought to bear eternally for the saints, past, present, and future. So that word covenant is a rich one. It's, 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 it has a rich history. And um, as we go from here into the rest of uh, the letter and the book, I think we'll have a deeper and deeper appreciation of the idea 
of a covenant going forward. But as our author says here in verse 6, Christ has obtained a ministry that's more excellent than the old covenant ministry of the, the Levites. And the covenant he mediates and ministers is better since it's enacted on better promises. Now, next week we'll get into the second half of chapter 8, which basically is, is quoted from Jeremiah 31, where, where God through the prophet presents the new covenant to come based on the finished work of Christ. And we'll get to that. But you might notice um, just quickly the, the promises these better promises that we're going to find next week as we, as we look at this, this section of, of Jeremiah 31. The promises that are better basically begin here in verse 10 of chapter 8, which is from Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They, they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. Now these are promises that were they were brought forth in in blood, but it was based on the worshiper bringing his sacrifices. Um, you, you couldn't enjoy those promises unless you brought your sacrifices. But God was going to bring the sacrifice of his son to bear to where in the new covenant, in the aftermath of the finished work of Christ, our redemption is so much richer and better since it's based on finished work rather than anticipated work. And so these are better promises in the New Covenant that Jeremiah is given by God through inspiration in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. So Christ's covenant that he mediates and that he ministers is better since it's enacted on better promises, and as such, they are eternal. They're not temporal, they're not temporary, but they're for all times, once and for all. Finally, verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. This is the same reasoning uh, as back in chapter 7, verse 11, where our writer makes the same reasonable statement. If perfection, he said, had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than one named after the order of Aaron. If the order of Aaron was enough to justify God's people, then a, a priest by the order of Melchizedek wouldn't have been necessary, would he? But he was, because the priest that we enjoy now, according to the order of Melchizedek, is divine. He's eternal. He's without beginning, without end. And he justifies us through himself, once and for all, as a, as the sacrifice that God accepts. So the first covenant had been fault, faultful, or uh, you could find fault with it, and that's where our author goes next week. It was, um, you could find fault with it, and as and being found with fault, hence it was temporary and insufficient. Beloved, we are the fruit 
of the finished work of our perfect divine priest, the Son of God, the King on his throne. Amen. We enjoy what the Old Covenant didn't enjoy at the time that they worshipped. They were worshipped with great anticipation for the future. They they brought their sacrifices in faith. <clears throat> God accepted them and remitted their sin, but based upon not the lamb that they brought or the blood of the heifer, but on the basis of the future finished work of his own son, our Lord Jesus, that we enjoy now. So we... We operate on better promises, better covenant than the Old Testament ever did. God is good, he's great, and he's perfect in his redemptive love for his church and for how he applies that redemption. So be encouraged, beloved. I hope to see you all soon. Some of you are back. We thank the Lord for that. (coughs) We miss all of you who are still away. Um, we pray the Lord's blessings on you and that we'll see your faces and hug your necks here again very soon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your, your grace, for fulfilling the covenant of works through our Lord Jesus and applying grace uh, over re- the course of redemptive history through your Son, our Lord Jesus. There's so much to celebrate here, Father. We thank you for our place in redemptive history. Encourage us with it the power and equip us with it for the day and for the week ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Blessings all. See you soon.